I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hey, John. Hello, John. How are you doing on this fine, fine evening? This evening is a good evening because today was the last day of summer dance here at UNCSA. So I officially am free of dance classes for like three and a half weeks. What are you going to do with all that time? I'm going to learn all the other music that I've got coming up this semester. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to just take a half second and brag because... If all y'all want to know, like one of the hardest working conductors right now in the Winston-Salem area, just go to johnmckeeverconductor.com because he's added like, I don't know, three billion different things to his calendar. And uh, yeah, he's really fucking good and you should check him out. He's not just a sexy voice on a podcast. That's very kind of you to say. I am a sexy voice on a podcast as well, though. And that's what we're here to do today. So what are we talking about today, John? Today, we are talking about the 2018 musical Mean Girls with music by Jeff Richmond, lyrics by Nell Benjamin, and a book by Tina Fey. Mean Girls opened on April 8th, 2018 at the August Wilson Theater and played 804 performances before closing with the rest of Broadway on March 11th, 2020. During the pandemic, the producers announced that the show would not reopen when the restrictions were lifted. Mean Girls was directed and choreographed by Casey Nicola with music direction by Mary Mitchell Campbell. The original Broadway cast included Erica Henningsen as Katie Heron, Taylor Louderman as Regina George, Barrett Wilbert as Janice Sarkeesian, Gray Henson as Damian Hubbard, Ashley Park as Gretchen Wieners, Kate Rockwell as Karen Smith, and Kyle Selig as Aaron Samuels. Mean Girls was nominated for 12 Tony Awards, but won none, which is harsh. Janice Sarkeesian and Damian Hubbard introduced the audience to Katie Heron. Katie and her parents have moved to a Chicago suburb from Kenya, but Katie soon realizes that her high school classmates do not readily accept others who differ from them. Despite this, she is ready to accept the challenge of fitting in at the high school, only for Katie to find out that no one seems to like her or even acknowledge her. Janice and Damien decide to help her as she tries to find her social group, describing the clique of high school social royalty dubbed the Plastics in particular. The trio consists of Regina George, the Queen Bee, Gretchen Wieners, Regina's nervous, eager to please second-in-command, and Karen Smith, the stereotypical dumb blonde. Regina and her fellow Plastics decide that the new girl will eat lunch with them for the rest of the week. When Katie tells Damien and Janice about the invitation, the latter asks her to say yes to the plastics and tell them everything they say. In AP Calculus, Katie meets the dreamy Aaron Samuels and immediately falls for him. Kevin, head of the mathletes, is impressed with Katie's performance in class and asks her to join them. But Gretchen warns Katie that joining the mathletes is social suicide and Regina puts down Kevin to make him leave. 
Katie thinks Regina is nice for protecting her, but Janice warns her that Regina is dangerous. Amazed and intoxicated by her newfound power, however, Katie does not pay attention to Janice's words. At the mall, Gretchen asks Katie if she has met any boy she likes. When Katie tells her about Aaron, Gretchen becomes horrified because he is Regina's ex-boyfriend, which makes him off-limits to her friends. The Plastics and Katie retire to Regina's house, where they meet her cool mom, and Gretchen and Karen show Katie their old burn book, where they put photos of their classmates and write mean comments about them. When they come across Janice's photo in the book, Gretchen explains that she and Regina used to be best friends. Regina claims that Janice freaked out when she was unable to invite her to her 13th birthday party and ended up in art therapy. Later, Gretchen confides in Katie that because of the state of her friendship with Regina, she has lost all confidence in herself. The next day, Aaron discusses his previous relationship with Regina, how she made him feel like he was not himself, and that he has sworn off dating. After an awkwardly concealed verbal slip-up results in him explaining a math problem to her, Katie believes that if she acts stupid, Aaron will help her with her work and therefore talk to her more. After using this tactic, Aaron invites Katie to his Halloween party. Karen explains that in high school, Halloween revolves around looking sexy and having a hot costume. Katie fails to realize this and shows up at the party in a scary costume, embarrassing herself. Later at the party, Gretchen tells Regina about Katie's crush on Aaron to get her approval. Spitefully, Regina decides to flirt with and manipulate Aaron until he agrees to get back together with her. Katie sees Aaron kissing Regina and is devastated. Furious, Katie shows up at Damien's house and tells him and Janice what happened. Damien tells Katie that the real reason Regina and Janice stopped being friends was that in sixth grade, Regina accused Janice of being a lesbian. When the latter was unable to deny it, her classmates bullied her until she left school. The three friends decide to work together to get revenge on Regina, starting with giving her protein bars to make her gain weight. They also trick Gretchen by sending a fake candy cane gram to Katie from Regina, saying that they are now best friends. This leads Gretchen to reveal Regina's secret hookups with football player Shane Oman, among other vengeful acts. After the plastics disastrous rockin' around the pole dance at the school talent show, people start noticing Regina's weight gain. Later, when she breaks one of the plastics' arbitrary clothing rules, Katie stands up to her, banning her from sitting at their table. Katie tries to apologize to Regina for kicking her out, but she insinuates that her reign is far from over. Following a winter break, Katie has undergone a complete makeover befitting of her new Queen Bee status leading Karen and Gretchen, though Damien and Janice disapprove of this. After Katie tells Janice that she cannot attend her art show because of a trip with her parents, Damien and the other girls of North Shore High School try to hamper Katie's ever-growing social obsessions and make her stop acting dumb for Aaron by telling her about their own negative past experiences with obsessive behavior. 
Gretchen and Karen convince Katie to lie to her parents and throw a small party while they are gone that weekend. Gretchen starts to notice similarities between her friendship with Regina and Katie, while Mrs. George wonders why her daughter refuses to confide in her, reminiscing about the old days when Regina was a child. Concurrently, Gretchen contemplates being friends with Katie. Following Gretchen and Karen's advice, Katie throws a party in an attempt to get Aaron to come over. When Aaron shows up, they sneak off to her bedroom where Katie tells him the funny story about how she pretended that she was dumb to make him like her. Aaron becomes upset and says that he liked the smart and kind Katie, not her new plastic self. He leaves, but she chases after him and runs into Janice and Damien outside, who have come to confront her after the art show. They tell Katie that she betrayed their trust, lied to them, and has gone full plastic. Katie accuses Janice of being in love with her, just as Regina did years ago. Janice and Damien are disgusted by Katie's behavior, with the former throwing a picture she submitted to her art show at Katie, revealing that the winning painting was of the three of them. When Regina discovers that she was not invited to Katie's party and that the protein bars were the cause of her weight gain, she decides to get revenge by releasing the burn book after adding Regina is a fugly cow to it in order to take the blame off herself. She throws copies of the burn book pages all over the school, revealing the insults about everyone they know except Karen, Gretchen, and Katie. All of the junior class girls begin fighting over the insults. Janice and Damien see an insult in the book that only Katie could have written about him. At a required assembly about the burn book, Ms. Norbury tries to bring the girls together. Janice explains her philosophy to the school, referencing her failed friendships with both Katie and Regina, empowering the girls to stand up for themselves. When Regina storms out in anger and disbelief, Katie tries to apologize, but the former plastic gets distracted and hit by a passing school bus. The accident prompts Katie to reevaluate herself and realize what a monster she has become. After learning Miss Norbury was about to be fired due to the things she wrote, Katie takes full blame for the burn book, despite not having written the entire thing herself. She's suspended for three weeks and banned from the spring fling. When Katie... Re- Sorry. <laughs> when Katie returns to school, Miss Norbury offers her a way to earn extra credit and save her grade, joining the mathletes at the state championships. The team wins and Katie feels redeemed. She then sneaks into the spring fling with Aaron's help after kissing him. There, she runs into Regina and they have a heart to heart before making up. Katie is elected spring fling queen, but after noticing how fragile and cheap the plastic crown is, she breaks it into several pieces and gives them to each girl in attendance, telling them they are all real and rare. She apologizes to Janice and Damien, and they move forward as friends once more. Katie, Damien, Janice, Gretchen, Karen, Aaron, and Regina join together, finally accepting each other. The end. So I feel like we should say, just in case, 
before we get too much further into our discussion that we are recording this episode in real time before we have our conversation with Beth, who you all heard from last week. So not knowing anything about where that conversation is going to go, if we say something here today that makes no sense with what was discussed last week, it's because we haven't had that conversation yet. We're still sweet, young summer children who are naive and blissfully unaware. So like I'm none normal. of those things. <laughs> okay, Mean Girls. We both feel very differently about this show. Like, I can't remember the last time we both had reactions to the show that were such polar opposites. I like this show. I enjoyed this show. I don't think it's anything deep. I don't think it's any... It is not a show meant to change the world. But I enjoy it for what it is. On the other hand... I loved the movie. (laughs) Unfortunately, today we are talking about Mean Girls colon the musical and not Mean Girls parentheses the movie. So, yeah, this, I mean, this was not my favorite musical. And, you know, there were parts of the musical that I enjoyed, particularly all the parts that were jokes that were originally in the movie. But a a lot of what turned it into a musical just wasn't for me. In particular, I'll just dive right in. I found the music kind of jarring. Um, I, I just, it did not feel cohesive to me like it just it feels a little bit all over the place predominantly it's kind of in this contemporary sort of new broadway rock musical type of style but there are these moments like um it roars where they i get it there she's in kenya so they're leaning on more african influences but it just feels so out of left field that it was jarring and then that's followed by where do you belong which is like a spoof of like a 1920s hot cha cha type of broadway tune it just it it seemed so all over the place just in listening that i i, I didn't i couldn't get into it See, and it's interesting because I took away from it a very different feeling, but actually in the same vein, this is mid-20-teens Broadway rock. That's the style of this show. If I were to put my biggest criticism of the music is I don't know that I necessarily feel like it's all over the place. I feel like it's all the same. And while there may be moments which, you know, jump out a little bit, just kind of breaking out from that aural texture, they're very, very few and far between for me. And as a consequence, this show just fits into the same happy little glove box that so many others do. I mean, there's a song in the first act, Apex Predator, and all I can think of when I'm listening to it is it's basically dead man walking from heathers which is another kind of early 21st century alt broadway rock show about a girl that is wronged and trying to change her fate and her you know and not to compare the two shows plot wise i'm sure we'll get there at some point because at some point we'll end up talking about heathers but that is not today i guess what i'm trying to get at is my complaint about the music while enjoyable to me is that there's nothing special here. There's nothing unique. It's not saying anything new. It's not trying anything new. It is sitting very, very happily in this 
20 teens, Broadway rock, like Heathers, like Legally Blonde was in the early 2000s. Like there's nothing memorable about it except a handful of really great tunes that I enjoy personally. But I also understand that there's not a ton to latch on here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't argue with you. I, do, do we know anything about Jeff Richmond, the, yes. the composer for this show? I actually did some background research. I'm so um, proud of you, John. So he, Thank he God was, one of us is responsible. <laughs> he is primarily a television and film composer. Um, as a matter of fact, Mean Girls is actually the only musical he's ever actually written. He also did some incidental music for a play in 2016 called Fully Committed. I know nothing about it. I have never heard a note from this. So for all intents and purposes, this is his only entry into the Broadway sphere. He's done a he's done a handful of films. So he did Mean Girls. He did Baby Mama. He also did on television, they're all the music for 30 Rock. He also is currently writing Is the he music. the guy responsible for doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 he doom. is. He also he should have did, stuck to TV jingles. That shit's great. He is also doing the music for Mr. Mayor. He's also done the music for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. If so all these you know, Tina Fey projects. And, and he happens to be married to one Ms. Tina Fey. Shut up, really? I'm hand to god oh now i like this show even less we ended up with what was a really really great movie turned into what i feel like is not an awesome musical just because of nepotism okay first of all i don't know that it's nepotism and to be fair what's the word for that there's a word for that a successful writing team No. no 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 again to be fair, like I said, he did the music for 30 Rock. He did some music for Saturday Night Live. He did the music for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He did the music for Mr. Mayor, Mean Girls, Baby Mama. I mean, yes, it's not a traditional book writing composing team, but it kind of is at this point. I'm not arguing the, the artistic merits of it, but when a pair has worked together that long, is it really nepotism or is it really that's their team? I'm not saying it's successful. I'm not saying it's always great, but it is what it is. I, 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 don't, I, I don't feel passionately enough to argue either side of this for any protracted period of time, but I have a hard time justifying this as a writing team when you're writing incidental music for a TV show that has no words and is really just something that gets us from scene A to scene B versus a musical where music is in the title of the genre. That's a big leap. Even if they are an effective team, like how often do you think Tina Fey, actress and producer of 30 Rock, was in the studio with Jeff Richmond, composer, going, yeah, but I really need more baritone sax. You know, if you're going to insist on bringing your relentless logic to my discussions, we're going to have a problem here because damn it, you're not wrong. 
It's, I mean, you know, for it effectively being someone's first musical, it's pretty good. Like he, he, he gets the style and the genre. I'll give him that. And of the 12 Tonys that this show did not win, one of them was for best original score. So that's something. Again, it was meritorious enough that for the, the 2019 Tonys, it was in the handful of shows recognized. But I mean, ultimately, so there's just, I don't know. Uh, again, I really loved this movie when it came out back in 2004. And I wanted to like the musical because I loved the movie so much. It just like they, they made weird choices. Like the fact that it has a sort of introduction opening number that tells you what's going to happen in the show, including spoiling what, even though it's an adaptation from something from 2004, to me was the most shocking and amazing moment of the movie when Regina George gets hit by a fucking bus. Look, like that. sometimes you just got to have Chekhov's bus. That's just how it works out. You're not I, wrong. And I think the ultimate fatal flaw of this show, which keeps it from being memorable which keeps it from being as successful as it could have been is that it is a mismatch of two styles we have talked about on this podcast several times now that from 2000 say 2000 2005 on that we have been undergoing a a shift in the style of musical theater and that we have abandoned the meg well we are abandoning the mega musical but more importantly we have left the concept of the traditional book musical behind the golden age construct of showboat and kiss me kate and my fair lady and insert insert rogers and hammerstein show here we have we have moved away from this and if you look at more current shows like hades town like 6 those shows aren't book musicals anymore. We're, we are no longer in the age of the book musical. Mean Girls tries so hard to be a book musical. And rule number one with a book musical is you have to have a big opening number. And in this case, the big opening number ends up including Chekhov's bus. And yes, it, it lessens the effectiveness of it. I still think it's absolutely hilarious because I promise you, two-thirds of the way through the musical, when she steps out and she gets hit by that bus, most people have forgotten that line in the, the opening number. And so it's still a shock. It's still surprising. For someone who already knows it's coming and then hears that, I understand how it would take you out of the moment. I get that. I understand that. But going back to my original point, that's the flaw. The flaw is it tries to be something it's not. This, it, it, this is a book musical show that really doesn't function well as a book musical. Which I guess is going to force me to beg the question, why turn this into a musical? Well, cynical me would say money. It's a popular property. It, like you said, the movie came out in 2004. And while it has not had at least to my sphere it has not had the cultural impact that movies that i watched growing up had for me it is part of popular culture to this day so here we are 2022 
15 some odd years later yes i did the math wrong in my head but screw it i mean I, i'm i'm a teeny bit younger than you and i i will say lines from this show do still or from this movie do still appear regularly in the the cultural sphere that i grew up in like she doesn't even go here it's just solid gold classic absolutely and stop trying to make fetch happen john fetch is not going to happen I, are you proud of me for not saying that so fetch at any point in our reading of the synopsis because i had to stop myself several times i'm i was actually i was a little disappointed i was hoping for one or two but it but it's okay i mean so cynical me would say money i think artistic me says Right now, and again, we've talked about this in the past, how there seems to be this duality on Broadway where we have a handful of the kind of ultra-realistic original story musicals, and then we have, for lack of a better term, the Disneyfication of Broadway, where it's, a insert Disney show here, it's Beetlejuice, it's Mean Girls, it's, you know... Any of these shows that started life as something else that are being brought to Broadway in a cur- in a commercial way to make money. Let I mean, and and let's not let let's not put on fancy airs about this. It is to make money. It is to monetize a resource and to find a new revenue stream for it. There are two questions here. One is why is that happening? And we're never going to answer that. You, I mean, the we literally, the you and me are never going to answer that because we're not in a situation where we can answer that. That makes the question, why did mean girls have to become that? And I think you you hit it on the head. Culturally, it's still relevant for you. And, and you're a guy in your 30s. I'm a guy in my early 40s. And I know these cultural references too. You know, on Wednesdays we wear pink. I have maybe worn pink three times in my life. Yet I know the joke, on Wednesdays we wear pink. Mostly because Facebook friends always seem to post that. And it's like, come on, guy. Oh, we get it. Okay, fine. On Wednesdays we wear pink. And so ultimately maybe there was a a market for this. And maybe it comes down to you know, as we've been reminded no, by I, our, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be very careful that we don't fall into our, our routine trap of being two older white guys who don't like shows that aren't about older white guys. I, I, I don't know that there wasn't a market for this. The show closed because of the pandemic. It was doing fine prior to the pandemic. And it, if it wasn't for the pandemic, it might still be running. It seemed like people were very much enjoying it. And to be fair, it has, currently a very very successful broadway tour going on i think they actually have at least two tours out right now i mean name another show that has two tours out right now and you can't use hamilton because that that's cheating because we know hamilton has god What's ha- is hamilton popular i i think i've heard that Hamilton. i've never seen be- it i wouldn't know well, you know, maybe you should check it out. I hear you might enjoy it. Actually, John, that's a question I, I wanted to ask you. Is, is, uh, uh, we probably discussed this last week, but have you seen Mean Girls? I have never seen, I, and not for lack of opportunity. It's funny. When I was up in New York, the down week in between the weekends of Greece, the Mean Girls was tour was in Albany and it was 45 minutes away and I could have gone and seen it. 
Next weekend, the Mean Girls tour is in Fort Worth. I mean, this is useless for our podcast audience because they will have left by then. But again, it gives you a context of where we're recording right now. It's not for lack of opportunity. Um, and I, I do want-, want to see it. So I our, really our- do. That means our evaluation of this show is based purely on listening to the uh, original Broadway cast recording. And I wonder, not knowing anything about Nell Benjamin, other than having listened to the lyrics of this show, clearly Tina Fey is the standout powerhouse star of the creative team behind this show. And I wonder if actually getting to see this show that, as you said, is very much trying to be a book musical where you can see the whole thing and actually hear the book written by Tina Fey if it isn't a more compelling piece as a whole. And actually it's, it's interesting. You, you bring that up is one of the major through criticisms that was common in reviews of the original Broadway production were that Tina Fey's book was brilliant. It was acidic. It was witty. It had turns of, I mean, whether you like what she produces or not, Tina Fey is one of our generation's more prolific and, ex- and successful comedy writers. Like there, there's, there's, there's no, there's no two ways about that. And I have a huge professional crush on her for that reason, because she is so brilliant in, in everything she does. But a lot of what the critics were saying were, the lyrics for the music ended up not really mirroring that and that they were, they were fine, but because they were so overshadowed by Tina Fey's book, they came off poorer in the battle. Um, And I did just do use the interwebs real quick. Nell Benjamin actually is one of those uh, uh, lyricists and writers that uh, you probably don't know immediately by name, but she, so she is married uh, to Lawrence O'Keefe, who is a Broadway composer, and they have done together uh, Legally Blonde the Musical, uh, which again now makes sense because this show lives in that world for me. Um, and, and in addition to that, she has uh, written, she wrote the lyrics for the musical Dave, which was, again, an adaptation of a movie uh, that went to the arena stage in Washington, D.C. in 2018. So that's that's her niche, is that she's she's a lyricist. Um, a well a well accoladed one, in, in my opinion. I actually do enjoy her stuff as well. She's just, it seems, a name that not many people who are not intimately familiar with this would be familiar with. And I think I just said familiar three times in the same sentence. So perhaps ultimately we should refrain from being too harsh until we get to see the show. But that being said, I'm not super moved to seek this one out just having listened to it. And I think as, as someone who approaches musicals from the music side of the musical Tina Fey's book is probably brilliant, I'm sure, because it's Tina Fey. But if your songs don't grab me, I'm going to have a hard time jumping in. I can't argue with that. I I can't. And, you know, maybe this is one of those 
we come back to this someday once we've both seen it and go, oh, everything I thought about this show was wrong. Or, oh, no, I was right on. Well, if you want to find out more about Mean Girls, as I'm sure I said last week, you should just go see it and catch uh, our amazing friend Beth down in the pit kicking ass. If you can't get to one of the dozens of shows that are probably touring near your area, if you check it out, I know it's coming to North Carolina in the fall. Uh, you can find the original Broadway cast recording of Mean Girls anywhere you find your records. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.